Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Fresh Encounter the radio ministry of Lifelong Anointing Church. Our mission as a church is to equip the body of Christ to increase in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with men. We're glad that you joined us for this edition of the broadcast. It is our prayer that this broadcast will be a blessing to you. Here now is Pastor Otuno with today's message. Well, once again, happy Easter to everybody. And I pray that the Lord himself will speak clearly to us this morning in Jesus' name. Now, today, as we all know, Christians all over the world are celebrating the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Easter is the day that has been set aside for us to be able to celebrate the victory that Jesus won for us on the cross of Calvary. The resurrection of our Lord, which we celebrate at Easter, has always been an intriguing thing for many Christians and even for non-Christians alike. Many have always wondered why Christians take the resurrection very, very seriously. Okay? We always wonder what is so special about the Christian. Many have asked themselves, what is it about the Christian faith? What is it about the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ that Christians are always very, you know, always uh, very excited about? Why is the resurrection so important to the Christian faith? Why is the resurrection such a big deal? There are a lot of people who are asking that question, and there are some, even who are believers, who still ask that question. Why is that resurrection such a big deal? If you look at the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. I think we mentioned it during our time of uh, life in our, in our life class this morning. Second Corinthians, uh, First Corinthians chapter fifteen, reading from verse number twelve, the Bible tells us there. It says, if Christ, that if Christ be preached that He rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, then our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we have found false witness of God, because we have testified of God that he raised, Christ, he raised up Christ, whom he raised up not. If so, that's, if so be that the dead raised up not. For if the dead raised not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ is not raised, your faith is in vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then, all, then, uh, then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. So why is the resurrection a big deal? Why is it important that we Christians, we, we, we focus a lot of attention on the resurrection? The reason the resurrection is important is because the re- there is no Christianity without the resurrection. In other words, if Christ did not rise up from the dead, then there will be no Christianity. The second reason is because the resurrection is important because it's the center of our faith. It is the center of the Christian faith. The resurrection is important because it is what secures our faith. The Bible tells us if Christ is not risen, then your faith is in vain. Because it is Christ that rose, because Christ rose up, that is why you have a faith. That's why you believe that as Christ has risen, so you too will be risen up. So resurrection is important because it secures your faith. The resurrection is important because it guarantees our victory. The victory that Christ won of the cross of Calvary was victory over sin and over Satan. 
And because he was able to defeat Satan, he was able to defeat death, you have a victory. The resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ now guarantees that victory. He said, if Christ is not raised, your, 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 your faith is in, vain, is in vain, yet ye are yet in your sin. So, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ guarantees our victory. And for, most importantly, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ assures us of hope for eternity. In other words, when you die, that is not the end of the story. When things, you know, when you close your eyes in death, that is not the end of the story. The Bible tells us in verse number 18 of that book of Corinthians that we read, it says, and then they also which are falling asleep are perished. If this, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of most of all men most miserable. In other words, if everything we do starts and ends here, if you're going to church and everything just ends here and you close your eyes in death and that's the end of the story, we have succeeded in wasting our time. Okay? That is why the resurrection is very, very important. Christ is important because it's important to our faith. That the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ is the very essence, the very heart of the Christian faith. Without the resurrection, we are wasting our time. We are wasting our energy. We are wasting our resources. Coming to church is just a whole waste of, it's just a big scam. If there is no resurrection. Because it means that once we die, that's the end of the story. And now one of the things I want you to understand is this. The world can tolerate a baby. Alright? That is born in a manger. They can celebrate it. We can do all sorts of things about the birth of, uh, the birth of a baby. The world can tolerate a moral teacher. Who is harmless to anybody. The world can stomach even a miracle worker. Every now and then they see you throw miracle here and there. They will be able they are happy with it. But when it comes to a savior. The world cannot stand the savior. Yes. The world cannot tolerate a savior. The world has a major problem with savior. And why is it that the world has a problem with savior? Why is it that the world cannot tolerate a risen savior? The reason is because that risen savior cannot be ignored. If somebody falls down, down and die here right now, and then we call a doctor and it's verified that the person actually died, and then maybe after a week the person is still lying down there, we'll probably have a problem with the city, but that's a different story. If the person still lies down here dead, after three weeks, after three days, the person wakes up and starts walking, you don't ignore whatever that person says. You do not ignore that person. So the world, the, the world does cannot tolerate a risen savior because they cannot, a risen savior cannot be ignored. Number two, the world cannot ignore a risen Savior because the risen Savior convicts them of sin. It tells them that the, the wages of sin is dead and the gift of God is eternal life. That's why they cannot tolerate Him. They cannot tolerate a risen Savior because He deserves to be worshipped. Somebody falls down, dies and wakes up and tells you I've seen the glory. You will believe and you will worship Him. The, the, the world cannot tolerate a risen Savior because it demands a decision. It's either you believe or you don't believe. With the Lord Jesus Christ, there's no middle way. You cannot stand on the fence. You cannot say, maybe I, maybe not. It's either you believe him or you don't believe him. And that is why I said last week that Jesus Christ is one of the most polarizing figures in history. People either like him or they don't like him. But you cannot be indifferent towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what happens when you find a resurrected Savior. A resurrected Savior demands a decision. You are either for him or you are against him. And Jesus Christ himself said it. He said, you are either for me or you are against me. You cannot be in my camp and be walking against me. You can either decide for me or decide against me. A reason Savior demands a decision. A reason Savior, the reason why people don't like the resurrection is because it delivers the captives. 
People who come to the Lord Jesus Christ, people who believe in the resurrection, what it does for them is that it breaks the power of sin over their life. It releases the captive. And because it releases the captive, the world does not like it. That's right. I can tell you that the world always loves it when people are in bondage. When people are always tied down so that they can continue to feed feed on the miseries of all the other people. But when Jesus Christ came, he said he came to set the captives free. And that is why the world does not like it. The world does not like the risen Savior because it reminds Satan. It reminds Satan of his defeats. He reminds Satan of his defeat. Every time that Satan sees the resurrected Christ, every time Satan sees you as a born again Christian, every time Satan sees you that you have been delivered from sin, that you have been delivered from that oppression, that you have been delivered from that particular issue going on in your life, it reminds Satan that you have lost. And because he reminds Satan that he has lost, what happens is that Satan is always pissed. He's not happy about it. And that is why they don't like the risen Savior. They don't like the risen Savior because there is going to be, he reminds them that there is going to be a final accounting. It tells you that this whole thing does not end here. That whether you like it or not, a day will come that you will give account. And when you are reminded, it's just like when you are reminded that there's there's an auditor that is coming to town. You don't like the fact that an auditor is going to come. Because it means that somebody's going to go back and check on what you have done. I tell you every time I do when I go and I do audits, a lot of people, they don't like us coming. As soon as we show up, they don't like our face because we're going to be opening the books to see what they have done. The reason Savior reminds you that there's going to be a final accounting. That one day, all the secrets of men are going to be open. And when that secret is open, if it, is not, if it has not been brought under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have to account for it. And that is why people don't like the resurrected Savior. Please know that you will find that the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ is useless to you, is useless to me. It's all huffing and fussing if we have not experienced His power. A lot of people go to church and church makes no sense. Church is just one of those routines. It's one of those things we do in our society. It's one of those things that we do because we don't have anything better to do on Sunday morning. And that is why we come to church and it doesn't make any difference. The reason it doesn't make any difference is because we have not encountered the power of the risen Christ. You talk to a young woman who has just fallen in love. And then another friend who has never fallen in love before. When you see that young, be- young girl or young boy behaving in a very funny way, you start wondering, what is wrong with this guy? You cannot understand what is wrong because you have never fallen in love. As soon as you fall in love, you can understand why that person wants to keep calling you every minute of the day. Why they cannot do anything except put your picture in front of their table at work, they push it in the car, they grab your voice as a ringtone, they have all those things going. It's because they are in love. Okay? But when you have never had that, when you don't have that kind of encounter, person behaving like that is out of foolishness. Person behaving like that probably have to visit Clover Bottom. It's because they don't understand the power of love. The same thing, if you have encountered the resurrected power of the Lord Jesus Christ, it turns things around in your life. It changes everything. It makes you see things differently. Christ's death and resurrection will be meaningless to you if the power of resurrection has not been effective in your life. Easter will be useless, meaningless, if you have not encountered the power of that risen Christ. And the question is, what is this resurrected life? What is this resurrected life? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, reading from verse number 17. The Bible tells us there, it says, if any man is in Christ. In other words, if any man has encountered this power, has encountered the risen Savior, he said he's a new creature. 
You see, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The resurrected life, praise from this verse of the scripture, means it's a life of redemption. It's a life of restoration. It's a life of renewal. It's a life of deliverance. It's a life that sets the captives free. The resurrected life is a life of hope. It's a life of victory. It's a life of freedom. It's a life that breaks you from the hold of sin, from the captivity of the enemy, into the kingdom of the almighty God. That is the resurrected life. And that's why Paul the Apostle was saying, he said, when you encounter this resurrected power, when you encounter this resurrected life, what you become is that you become a new person. The people who have seen you before, who know that you are a chronic liar, who know that you have a sicky finger, who know that you have a particular kind of behavior, when they now encounter you, when they now see you, after your encounter with the resurrected Christ, they know that something has happened in your life. They know something has changed in your life. They know that you are not the same kind of person anymore because something has happened. It's just like when you see a young man who has just fallen in love for the first time. He doesn't need to tell you. You will see there's a bounce in his step. Okay? You will see there's a way. I mean, there's something about him that is different. There's a glow around him that you can tell that this guy is different. There is a little girl that is whispering sweet nonsense into his ears. He will know. Because it's not something that's changed. The same thing when you encounter the power of the risen Christ. When God has touched you at the innermost point. When God has done something unique in your life. You can tell the difference. You can tell the difference. And that's why Paul the Apostle said that all things pass away. That individual becomes a new creature. The question then is how do we experience that resurrected life? How do you experience that resurrected life? To answer the question... We must first of all trace it back how Jesus Christ himself encountered or became or experienced or be, you know, moved into the life, you know, he became a resurrected, uh, a resurrected being. Let's look at Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26 is a very long verse. I won't take your time to read it, but I'll just give you the highlight as we move along. From Matthew 26, we can see that the path to the resurrected life, the path that will take you to the point of victory, the path that will make you, that people will know that, yes, you have encountered with Christ. He said that path is always paved with betrayal. Look at Matthew 26. Reading from verse number 21, the Bible says, And they, and as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you, One of you will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe unto the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. If a man is going to encounter the, if you are going to experience the glory of the resurrected life, number one, you must be prepared to be betrayed. Number two, you must be prepared for denials. The Bible tells us that Jesus said unto thee, He said that this night before the cock crow, you will deny me three times. Peter was making so much noise. I will never do it. I will never do it. But eventually he did it. What I'm trying to say is that if you are going to see the glory of the resurrected life in your life, if you are going to see Christ manifest through your life, you are not only going to face betrayal, you are going to experience denial. Number three, you are going to experience loneliness. Because not everybody... Is interested in walking with the Lord. Jesus Christ said that there are only two ways. He said the straight and the narrow way. Okay? There's also the broad way and there's a narrow way. There's a broad way that accommodates everybody and there's a narrow way that only few people find. So if you are going to see the glory of God upon your life, you must be ready to experience some time of loneliness. Not only that, there will be a period of dissociation. The Bible tells us in Matthew 26, reading from verse number 58, but Peter followed afar unto the high priest's place and went in and sat in, the, uh, and sat in with the servant to see the end. In other words, Peter that was very close to him before. 
Peter that was walking with the Almighty God step by step. Peter that took out that particular, that took out the sword to cut off the ear of one of the people that came after Jesus Christ. That same Peter, when Jesus was about to be glorified, the first thing that Peter did was began to walk from afar. When the day you make up your mind that you want to walk with the Lord... The day you make up your mind that you want to see the glory of God manifest in your life. The day you want to see God, you want to say, God, I want to see your promises fulfilled in my life. Say, that day you are going to begin to see some dissociation. Some people will begin to fall out of your life. Some people will stop working with you. Some people will stop associating with you. Some people will not even want to be identified with you anymore. Because they no longer can stand the spirit that is inside of you. So a man who is who wants to experience the resurrected life must be ready to, uh, to go through a period of dissociation. Not only that, there will be a period of false accusation. I'm not, I don't know about you, but there are times when they call Christians, they call them fanatics. When you decide to pray and see God do things in your life, that's when they begin to call you fanatics. They say they are the weird kind of people. They say they are the kind of people who are the goofy people. They begin to give you all sorts of names. The intention is for false accusation. Jesus went through it. The Bible says that now the chief priests and the elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death. If you are going to experience the glory of the Almighty God in your life, in your career, in your, in your situation, in your circumstances, be ready to go through a period of false accusation. There, are also, there will also be a period of evil substitution. It is always very fascinating to me when you read the scriptures. That God will give an option. A very pleasant option God will provide to his people. And for some reason... People will turn around and choose the most terrible option that will not do them any good. If you read this particular server, version of the script, this particular part of the Bible, Bible in Matthew 27, if you read verse number 15, Pilate wanted to get to him, wanted to free Jesus Christ. And then he gave them the most horrible person, believing that these guys will pick, will say, no, 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 we don't want this guy back in society. We want him, you know, we want him hanged. But because they were determined to destroy the son, of, the son of God, they were determined not to see the will of God fulfilled in their life, they chose the evil against the good. And I tell you the same thing. If you want to see God move on your behalf, if you want to see the glory of God manifested in your life, you will be surprised at what people will do to you just because of the fact that you have identified with Christ. You will be surprised at the kind of choices people will make just because they don't want the glory of God to manifest in your life. There will be evil substitution just because of the fact that they know that you are associated with the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you want to see the glory of the Almighty God, don't be surprised when people make those kind of decisions. And then finally you are going to experience what is called mockery. There will be mockery of your faith. There will be pain that will come from denial. There will be suffering that will be associated with it. The Bible makes us to understand that anyone that will want with the almighty God will suffer persecution. In other words the walking with the Lord is not all good and dandy. It's not all just nice, rosy, beautiful weather, everything is fine. You know, anybody who tells you that, there are two possibilities. It's either he doesn't know what he's doing or what he's saying or he's a liar. Because anybody who will walk with the Almighty God will suffer persecution. The Bible makes us understand that in Matthew 27, it said that they stripped him. They put a scarlet robe upon him. And when they have planted a, thorn, a crown of thorn, when they have planted a, a, a crown of thorn, they put it upon his head and, and, and they read in his hand and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jew! And they spat upon him and took the, uh, and took the reed and smote him in the head. There is going to be mockery. There's going to be pain. There's going to be suffering. 
if you decide today and you say, I want to walk with the Lord. And that is why a lot of people don't want to walk with the Lord. It's not because they don't know the benefit of walking with the Lord. It's not because they don't enjoy the goodness of walking with the Lord. But there's a lot of pain associated with it. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of mockery. There's a lot of suffering. And if you want to walk with the Lord, you should be prepared for that. But ultimately, there are many people in the different phases, different parts of the world that are experienced, that are paying the ultimate sacrifice just for the fact that they are associated with the Lord. And that's what Paul the Apostle was saying to Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Reading from verse number 12, he said, Ye shall, he said, Yea, all day, that all that will live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. If you are going to see God work on your behalf, if you are going to hold on to God and say, God, I want my life to reflect your glory, you better be prepared for some of these things because it will come. It might not come in the way that we saw it in the old, in the test, in, the, in, the, in, the, in some of the, in some other parts of the world where people are beaten or dragged on the street, but you will experience it in your place of work. You will experience it in relationship. You will experience it amongst your friends. You will experience it in the place where you find yourself. The easy access and all the camaraderie that you enjoy with other people, a time will come when they will just look at you, they will only tolerate you just because you are identified with Christ. So you see, the man who will experience the resurrected life must therefore be ready for, like I said, betrayal, denial, loneliness, dissociation, false accusation, evil substitution, mockery, and ultimately death. The interesting thing I want to point out here is not what you will go through, but what Jesus did when he was going through all these things. You will understand, you will see one thing that, that when Jesus was going through the account and everything, you will find out that Jesus did not try to escape. Jesus did not try to begin to accuse the people that were accusing him. He, he, he did not return the accusation. Jesus did not try to you know, go into self-pity. Jesus did not go into, into cursing. He did not bring down the host of heaven to say, wipe them away because these guys are just messing with me. They don't know who they are dealing with. I, me, the son of God, the creator of the universe, and you are dealing with me like this. I can wipe you guys out. He didn't do that. He did not try to escape. Okay, on the road to resurrected life, our Lord Jesus Christ did not try to do the things that a normal human being will do. But instead, he restrained those who wanted to take up, to take up violence. He healed the people who are attacking him. He made provision for those who have no provision. He, you know, he even prayed for his accusers and even asked for forgiveness for them by saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ, the question is, why did he do it? I mean, somebody is, if, if you read the book of Isaiah, the Bible says that they were plucking out the beards on his face. Okay? You saw the video that we showed when we were looking at the video of the Via de la Rosa. You saw the way he was beaten. Can you imagine somebody going through all that kind of beating and then you are still saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. If you do it to this African man, I know I'm not going to be, it will be difficult for me to pray that prayer. <laughs> very, very difficult. Because I would say, God, you need to send out thunder and consume these people. <laughs> you need to wipe them out. Because these guys are really messing with your son. I mean, you come in to do this job. Why would you allow these guys to be dealing with me like this? That is the kind of prayer I will pray. But that's not what he prayed. That's not what he prayed. The question is, why? Why? We know that he's God. We know that. But why did he why did he not do that? Why he did not why did he why why didn't he just, uh, just respond the way these people responded to him? If you look at the book of John chapter 10, John chapter 10, reading from verse number 17, the Bible tells us something there. It says, Therefore does my father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. 
No man take it from me. But I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment I've received of my father. In other words, Jesus did not try to escape. Jesus did not try to defend himself. Jesus did not pray, you know, and Jesus prayed for his accuser. He even forgave his accuser because number one. Because number one. He willingly and voluntarily laid down his life. He was not compelled to do it. He was not forced to do it. He knew that this was what he needed to do in order to save sinful men. So he did what he had to do because he willingly and voluntarily laid down his life. He voluntarily went to the cross. Number two, the reason why the Lord Jesus Christ did not try to run away from that responsibility was because no man can take his life from him. Nobody. If he did not give it, nobody will take it. That was exactly what he told Pilate. He said, you do not have any power that is not given unto you. It's because I decide to lay down my life. That is why you are able to put me on the cross. John was talking to Peter. He said, don't you think I can ask a legion to come down and fight for me? But I won't do it because this is what we have determined to do. He, you know, he was able to do what he did because nobody can take his life from him. And number three, most importantly, he was able to do what he did because he has the absolute power over life and death. Jesus knew he had the life, he had the power over life and death. And if you have that kind of power, why would you want to be? Why would you want to be talking to, 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 to all those all those people who don't even know what they are doing? It's just like you walk into a particular room and you are the most important person in that particular room, and somebody who's more like a, a, a gatekeeper try to start messing or try to start pumping themselves and presenting themselves as if they are bigger than what they are. You look at that person and you're smart, you don't need to introduce yourself. It's just like you are the owner of a particular building or you're owner of a particular company and then somebody comes in and starts misbehaving. You just look at that person and you smile. I don't know, there's a particular program on TV it's called uh, uh, Undercover Call, uh, Boss. If you watch that show, you see how the bosses were coming. All the CEOs, they were coming and they just watch their, 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 their employee running their mouths. And by the time they run their mouth at the end of the show and they see the, uh, they see the CEO, the CEO come up, say, ah, that's what happened here. When you have the power, you don't need to make the noise. There is something that we say that, you know, the empty barrel makes the loudest noise. But when your barrel is full of water, when they hit you, doop, 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 you don't make that noise. But when there's nothing, when they hit you, the bow, bow, you make all this. So that's what happened. Jesus knew he had the absolute power over life and death. Why would he argue with this kind of people? He knows it. If you go back to the book of John chapter 13, the Bible tells us there in verse number 3. It said when Jesus was about to wash the feet of his disciples. The Bible told us that it said Jesus knowing who he was. Knowing where he was going. And knowing that all power has been given unto him. He said he took off his robe. Laid down his garment. Took off the towel. And then started washing the disciples feet. In other words, I'm washing your feet doesn't diminish me. I'm doing what I'm doing does not take away from me because I know who I am. I know the power that I've been given. I know the power that I possess. I know where I am going. I know the authority that is in my hand. And I know that by washing your feet does not change that particular thing. The same thing here. I have the power over life and death. And I can take it away and I can give that life. And you just doing what you are doing does not change it. Because on the third day, I'm still going to rise up. I already told you. Death and grief will not be able to hold me. So why do I need to argue with you? 
That is why Jesus Christ did not go into all those arguments. That is why he did not fight. That is why he did not resort to violence. That is why he even healed the people as he went along. Forgave them of their sins. Prayed for them because he has the power of life. Therefore, if for anyone seeking the glory of the resurrected life, you must remember that the glory of the resurrected life will not come unto your life until three things happen. You want to see the manifestation of the power of the Almighty God in your life. You want to see God come true on your behalf. You want to see God move on your behalf. You want to see God visit you in a definite way. You must, three things must happen in your life. The first thing that must happen in your life will be the surrendering to the will of the Almighty God. Matthew chapter 26, reading from verse number 42, the Bible says, He went again the second time and prayed and said, Oh Father, if this cup will not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. You are walking with the Almighty God and you do not be, you don't, you don't come to the point where you surrender yourself to Him and say, Lord, your will be done. You are just wasting time. Because He will not move until you are surrendered. He will not do what He has promised to do in your life until you have been totally surrendered unto Him. For those of us who know a little bit about swimming, you know that if somebody is having an issue of swimming or they, are, or they are drowning, you don't go there when they are still kicking them. You know, you don't try to rescue them. The reason is because if you jump in at that point in time, there is a strong probability that two of you will be swept away by the current. But you allow them to exhaust themselves. When they have exhausted themselves, then they are a lot easier to pull out. Until you are fully surrendered, until you are fully saying, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. God will not move into that situation. And that is why I think there's a, I'm sure maybe the Chinese read the Bible when they said this, but they said that when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. But until then, if the student knows more than the teacher, there's nothing the teacher will say that the student will understand. Thank you very much for listening to our program today. We invite you to join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. for our Sunday worship service at 2711 Murfreesboro Road in Antioch, Tennessee. We also host Bible study and prayer meetings every Friday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at www.lifelonganointing.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Join us next time for another edition of Fresh Encounter. On behalf of Lifelong Anointing Church, we thank you for listening. Thank you.